Hi there, friends. Welcome to the Still Becoming Podcast, a place where women like you and me find help to move from where you are to where you want to be. I'm your host, Laura Acuna. The Still Becoming Podcast is where we gather to rethink our thinking about ourselves, our lives, and about our God. We will learn to reframe our shame and trade in limiting beliefs for the liberating truth from God's Word. And why the title Still Becoming? Because that's the Christian journey, isn't it? As we apply God's perfect Word to our lives for growth and change, we are always growing, always learning, and still becoming the women He created us to be. It's never perfect, and it's not too late. Do I need to say that again? It is never perfect, and it is not too late. I am so glad you're here for the journey, and I'm praying that God will speak directly to you through today's episode. Are you ready? Let's go. Well, hey, friends, welcome to Season 2, Episode 5. And I wanted to share with you a translation from Titus 2, 4 to 5. Now, last episode, Episode 4, I was talking to you about the mandate for older women to set the example to younger women in the faith. And since I made the recording of the episode, I found this translation. I just really liked it, and I wanted to share it with you because it ties in to what we're going to talk about today. In Titus 2, 4 to 5 in the New Testament, women are told, older women are told to train the younger women in the faith. And that word train actually means this. It means to encourage, to restore to a right mind, to make sober-minded, to steady by exhortation and guidance. I thought that was pretty amazing, especially to restore to a right mind, to make sober-minded, and to steady. And so what we're going to talk about going forward are those exact things. How can we walk in this culture that seems to be blowing up all the time, steady, in a right mind, sober-minded? How do we do it? Well, in order for us to do it, we're going to have to be tied as two women ourselves, aren't we? And then we're going to pass it on, not only to the younger women coming up behind us, but to a lost and hurting world. To be honest with you, I had a different idea of what I was going to share with you over the last five episodes of season two. But this past week, as I'm recording this tonight, we had the Nashville shootings, the shooting and killing of three children and three adults in a private Christian school in Nashville. And it changed what I wanted to say to you over the next several episodes. And so after praying about it and thinking about it, I've decided to share with you a message that I wrote several years ago called Walk in It, Shining the Light Along the Way. And I wrote the message in a similar time in our country and in our world. There had been heartbreaking violence in our country involving both adults and children. There was polarization in our political world. Sadly, not as bad as it is today, but it was bad. There was unrest. There was all kinds of things going on around the world as there are today. And so I wrote this message to help myself first to go to the scriptures and learn how, Lord, do I walk in this culture as a Christian woman? How do I continue on when it feels like the walls are closing in, I can't see the horizon anymore, and it feels like the world is becoming more and more hostile to you and your followers? How do I do it? And when I say, how do I do it? I don't mean to hide myself away inside my church building or my home, stick my fingers in my ear, 
and try to ignore the whole thing. That's not walking in it. That's not following Christ. How do I do it while engaging the culture, the people, the circumstances, the ideologies? How do I do it? How would you want me to walk, Lord? Now, I know very well we're not the first generation that's had to deal with this. Ever since there were human beings on this earth, every civilization and every generation has had to figure this out. And some have done it well, and some have not. Carrie Newhoff says this, here's what's at stake. When Christians lose their minds, people lose their faith. It's important. This is a moment for us. It's important. Now, I know it feels crazy and chaotic out there, and it is, but we can't shrink away. We can't shrink away. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And I love what Priscilla Shire has written about God's peace. Listen to this. Shalom, the familiar Hebrew word for peace, which permeates the Old Testament, does not refer to the absence of chaos, but rather to an overall deeply entrenched sense of harmony, health, and wholeness in the midst of chaos. In fact, true peace is best detected and measured against the backdrop of commotion and confusion. When instability abounds, yet you remain steadfast. When disappointment and confusion are near, yet you're still capable of walking with spirit-infused confidence, stability, and steadiness. Don't you love that? We are still capable, with God's peace, of walking with spirit-infused confidence, stability, and steadiness. God knows that we're walking through culture after culture after culture of chaos, and yet He gives us His shalom, His peace in order to walk in it. When my husband, Pat, was a young man, he had his pilot's license. Actually, he had it before he even had his driver's license. Isn't that interesting? In Ohio, back in the day, you could fly a plane at 15 or 16 before you actually had your driver's license. After we got married, he allowed it to lapse. And I know, though, he dreams of flying again one day. And we have very busy air traffic over our house. We live right outside of Washington, D.C., and so there's a lot of helicopter traffic. Uh, We often see the president going over in that three-helicopter formation we have for the 33 years we've lived in our home. And there's jets going to Baltimore, Washington Airport, in and out, and we just have a lot of plane traffic over our house. And so my husband loved to sit outside on the deck with our sons in the summertime and Planes would fly overhead while we were out there, and he would quiz them on what kind of aircraft was flying over our house. And he would teach them to recognize the different planes by their wings, by their nose, by their tail, by their engines. And he would quiz them all the time, and it was a fun game. But the boys are gone now. They're all grown up. And so guess who gets the quizzes now? I do. And I fail them miserably because I honestly don't care what aircraft is what. But He does tell me some interesting stories, and one of them I remembered, and it relates to this message. Pilots flying in reduced visibility due to dense clouds, fog, or storms often encounter spatial disorientation. When this happens, the earth, the horizon, or external reference points in flight become lost. In non-pilot language, he can't see where he's going, and he can quickly become disoriented. And then something happens with his equilibrium. The pilot is unable to maintain a correct sense of up and down while flying. In other words, 
He may think he's right side up, but he's actually upside down and vice versa. His perception of direction doesn't match his reality. And now he's in a very dangerous situation. If he pulls dramatically down when he ought to be pulling up, the plane goes into what they call a graveyard spiral and it's too late to recover. There's a fatal crash. The NTSB reports that 40% of fatal general aviation accidents are due to the pilot experiencing spatial disorientation. Kobe Bryant, Buddy Holly, Patsy Cline, and John F. Kennedy Jr. all died because a pilot lost their ability to navigate visually during bad weather. And JFK Jr. was actually the pilot of his own plane that went down. And there is one common denominator in almost all of these fatal crashes. None of the pilots were trained to fly in instrument conditions. They were not trained on the instruments in the plane. They were not instrument trained. Unbelievably, this is not actually required for general aviation pilots. Amazing. So you see, when human senses are no longer reliable, the instruments are. The pilot who is instrument trained knows that visually he cannot know the truth, but the instruments know. They tell the truth. He trusts them. His training kicks in and he makes it safely through the fog and storm. He has an extra measure of training and knowledge to protect him and his passengers. So what does this have to do with walking in our culture today? When we're experiencing upset as our culture and its values change before our very eyes, we can feel as if everything out there is gray and foggy and we can lose sight of our horizon. Our perception may not match our reality. Everything feels upside down and our sense of direction is gone. Where's the horizon? Wait a minute. Am I right or am I wrong? Is there absolute truth or is truth each individual's call? Has everything out there changed? When we find ourselves disoriented and we can't trust our instincts, what do we do? How can we find the horizon again? Well, just like the pilot who's instrument trained, I've learned that when the culture seems flipped over, when right is wrong and wrong is right, and my senses are no longer reliable, my training kicks in. Understanding I can't go with what I see and feel all the time, I go with what I know. I go with the Word of God. This is my instrument. And like the pilot who trusts his instruments, I know that God's Word alone tells me the truth. And here's what I know based on the Word of God. The culture may change. The values of my neighbors and friends may change. The laws of this country may change, but God and his word, they never change. Remember, 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Things aren't really falling apart because since God is sovereign, they're falling into place. He does not have his hand off the wheel. He's not looking the other way. He knows what's going on, and he is sovereign over the universe. Psalm 103.19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And whether or not your person is in the White House or your person is not in the White House, or you just don't know what to do with the person who is in the White House and politics in general, and the violence in this country, and everything that's going on, we have to remember that Jesus is still the king. He is still on the throne. He hasn't left his place. And our leaders, whoever they are, are accountable to him whether they know it or not. That's what my Bible says. And to quote Billy Graham, he said this, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. 
I'm able to weather through the fog and disorientation because I'm trained in the unchanging, storm-proof, total truth compass that is the Word of God. Psalm 75.3 in the message says this, When the earth goes topsy-turvy and nobody knows which way is up, I nail it all down. I put everything in place again. He knows what he's doing. I must trust what he says. Well, friends, I'm so excited to tell you that my new book, Still Becoming, Hope, Help, and Healing for the Diet-Weary Soul has just been released. You can find it on my website, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, ChristianBook.com, and other online retailers. Still Becoming is a 31-day devotional journal that takes you on a sacred journey where you'll discover true freedom and that healing and peace have nothing to do with the number on the scale. Join me and learn to rethink your struggles with disordered eating, body image, and dieting through the lens of self-compassion and God's grace. Matthew 5, 14 to 15 says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. You are the light of the world. I am the light of the world. We are light bearers for King Jesus. And here's what's on my heart about that. This won't apply to all of us, but it will to some of us. It's time to go to church. It's time to return to church after COVID if you have drifted off or if you've gotten cozy watching church in your pajamas. It's time to go back to church. If you keep saying you're going to, you're going to put your children there, you're going to go as a family, it's time to go back to church. Your church, your body of Christ in physical form is a charging station where you show up on Sunday or Saturday night and during the week too, where you get recharged to go out and be a light bearer in your sphere of influence, in your world, with your family, your friends, the people at work, the people you encounter in your day-to-day life. It's a charging station where we go and we get filled up and then we're sent out into the mission field. My friend Donna says this, you can't decide to go to church on Sunday morning. It has to be a commitment that you make that you're going to be there every single week. We now have so many options, don't we? My own church, we have a jumbotron on the lawn. We have a gym that's been turned into an overflow area, and we have a huge sanctuary. We also have a state-of-the-art system that live streams it into everyone's homes. And that's awesome, and it was wonderful during COVID to keep everyone connected, but it's time to go back to church. Yes, there are a percentage of us that can't. For medical reasons, for logistical reasons, that's not what I'm talking about. I know all too well how cozy and snug it was to sit on my sofa on Sunday mornings, take communion from my coffee table, and not have to get dressed and go in my car and drive a half an hour away. We can't be fooling around in this culture. We need to be with our people in person. A.W. Tozer says this, The church's mightiest influence is felt when she is different from the world in which she lives. That is so true. Oftentimes, God unifies the church when the culture is hostile toward it. But it's going to be really hard for the church to be unified, meaning the church, the big church, to be unified when we're all scattered and we're watching from home. Statistically, I believe most families attend church once, maybe twice a month. In order for us to have a mighty influence 
we've got to get together. It's going to be hard to have unity if we're not together. And doesn't the enemy just want us home and not fellowshipping, not singing songs of praise together in the same place, not taking communion side by side, not passing the peace during worship, not stopping and praying with a friend, hugging someone who needs a hug today, hearing a message with your pastor standing in front of you, sending your children to Sunday school with other kids, sending your youth to youth group and so on and so on and so on. It's important that we see each other. I think we've learned through all these years of isolation how unhealthy it is, and that certainly goes for the body of Christ. If we want unity, and we should be praying for it, we're going to have to see each other face-to-face. The simple truth is, even though our cultural landscape has changed and changed and changed, nothing has really changed for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We're still on mission. Everything out there may change, but God and His plan for our life on this planet has not changed. We are to know Him and to make Him known. And if we take our light and we go home, if we hide away or we shrink away from the mission, who's going to bring the light to them? And again, this is nothing new. Followers of Christ have been on mission in challenging cultures for over 2,000 years. The world that Jesus was born into was equally as horrendous, maybe worse. Rome was completely uncivilized and immoral. So the mission hasn't changed. God's word has not changed. And his eternal plan for all of his children has not changed. And here's another thing that hasn't changed. Luke 10, 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That was said 2,000 years ago. It was true then, and it's true today. Who's going to go? There are so, so many people who need Jesus. We are light bearers, and it's our job. It's our mission to bring light, God's light, to a lost and hurting world. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, the Greek word for the word light is phos. P-H-O-S. And this is what it means. It means a source of light, radiance, divine illumination. So we could insert that in the scripture. Walk as children of divine illumination. This light is not a spotlight. It's not a harsh searchlight or a blowtorch. It's a warm, inviting, and illuminating light. And even though it's gentle, it overtakes the darkness. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that word, light, is the same word, divine illumination. The divine illumination shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It illuminates our path and we're to shine the light for those who don't yet have their own light to shine. And then in that same verse, Ephesians 5.8, the word walk, walk as children of light. That word walk is peripatio. And do you know what it means? It means to conduct my life. So conduct your life as children who possess divine illumination, heavenly light. And now for soul fitness, strengthening your core, taking out your journal and your Bible, go to Jeremiah 1.5 in the Old Testament. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart 
and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, these words set apart don't actually mean we're supposed to be distant and detached from people who do not know Jesus, but rather we're to be distinct in how we live. So the journaling question is, when we live by God's word, what differences do others see in our lives? What differences do others see in your life that might draw them closer to him? And let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we know you. Thank you, Father, that you're there, that you're sovereign over all, that even when the world is topsy-turvy and we don't know which end is up, you do. You know which end is up, Lord. And as Anne Graham Lotz said so famously not long ago, Lord, maybe things aren't falling apart. Maybe they're actually falling into place. Keep us safe, Lord. Help us to walk upright with steadfastness and faithfulness and confidence that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, girlfriends, that's it for today's episode. But before you go, will you please hit subscribe or follow at the button at the top of this page? And while you're there, will you please leave me a review? This small ask helps the Still Becoming podcast reach more women who need this life-giving message. And if you've been listening for a while and would like an opportunity to support the Still Becoming podcast, I have a fun way that you can do that. You can buy me a coffee. This is an inexpensive way to help my ministry, and it's a little silly too. The link, along with all the others, is in the show notes. May God bless you until we meet again. I'll see you next time on the Still Becoming Podcast.